And now I move four feet to the right, and suddenly I'm the preacher. Amen. Amen. You saw that transformation happen? It was amazing, wasn't it? If you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5 is where we are. It's a joyful day to be in the house of the Lord with you guys, also in the Delta Grand, as we ascend together into the throne room of God and hear his word proclaimed and receive and delight in it. May we do so with joy and may we be transformed by it together. We have been going through a new sermon series. This is the second, second sermon in it. And what we're really talking about is, is what it means to be happy, the real biblical definition of happiness. How, how does that work for us as the people of God? And the place that we're going to find the answer to those questions is the Beatitudes. Now, last week, you know, we had the curveball of the first one, which was blessed are the, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that, if you remember from last week, that instructed us pretty clearly that we have to find our, our poverty in ourselves, our poverty of spirit, before we'll run with joy to Jesus. Amen? That's, that's normal for humans. If we're, if we're thinking we're going to get our satisfaction from anywhere else, we aren't really going to go to Christ. If we're thinking that we're going to find fulfillment in anything else, we aren't going to really run to Jesus and who he is. But if we know that we've got nowhere else to go, well, then where are we going to go? To Jesus. You see what I'm saying? If you realize your poverty of spirit, the brokenness of your situation, if you realize that you don't have the answer and the stuff out there doesn't either, then the God of this universe will bless that and he will bring you into the knowledge of Jesus Christ and therefore you will be one who will inherit his kingdom. That's a great blessing. So you have to be poor before you can be rich. You see the you see the flip? We talked about that over and over again. You must have the poverty of spirit before you are an heir of the kingdom of God. Today we're going to keep going through the list. And you know, it might be tough for some of us. But that's going to be okay. Because as we talk about the, the difficult side of things, there's gospel hope on the other end. So let's read through together the Beatitudes. Go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to do verses 1 through 12, and then we'll begin for this morning. Starting in verse 1, Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that now it would be your Holy Spirit that teaches us, that we would be instructed, that we would be convicted, and that we would be comforted. Lord, proclaim your truth to us, and apply the balm of your gospel to our hearts. May we receive it with joy as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The beginning of our 
our, our trek to happiness, okay? If we're, if we're talking about the pursuit of happiness, if we're talking about biblical joy, biblical happiness, the, the first step that you take is that poverty of spirit. Without Jesus, you're nothing. Without Jesus, we are nothing. We must go to him solely and alone, poor, destitute, helpless, without Jesus. And the poor in spirit, we, we know it. We know that it's true. And when that poverty of spirit pushes us into a relationship with Jesus, we enter into the light, okay? Now, I don't know if this happened to you guys, but I've heard many a story, and this was a bit of my personal experience as well, that whenever I first came to be a believer in Jesus, for the first, I don't know, month, six weeks, your general disposition is, all my problems are now solved, and all my sin is gone, and I have no issues anymore. Did anybody else have this experience about the first four, six weeks? And then around month two, three, four, you start to realize, oh no, <laughs> I'm still a sinner. <laughs> and it's almost as though the closer that you got to the Lord, the more bright that light got on your sin on your depravity, on your brokenness. You see, that's, that's how it works. The more that you press into the Lord and his holiness, what does he reveal in all of us? Our lack of it. <laughs> our, our lack of holiness. The more that you study the scriptures, the more that you learn about the Bible, the more that you learn about the character of God, the thing that keeps hitting again and again and again is that you need him. <laughs> you really need him. You see, that's how it works to become a Christian. When the poverty of spirit, when you realize there's nowhere else for you to go but Jesus, the, the disciples, they had that realization. Whenever Jesus gave the hard teaching and everybody started leaving, and his, he looked at his disciples, the 12, and he said, are you going to leave too? Their response was, well, where else are we going to go? You're the only one who's got the answers around here. I don't know where else we're going to go. They had the poverty of spirit, but their problems were still not solved. <laughs> right? Peter still abandoned him. Peter still denied him three times. Whenever Jesus was arrested, all the disciples ran for their lives. Some of them ran away naked, you know, like it was serious stuff here. And they were abandoning the Lord. In other words, they had poverty of spirit, but everything wasn't fixed yet. You see, whenever you recognize in your life that the only place that you can have to go is Jesus, that's the gate, Okay, that's the gate. That's the, that's the way that you enter the faith and following of Christ. But don't think for a moment that now all your problems are solved. Because as you draw close to Jesus, he's going to continue to shine his light brighter and brighter and brighter upon your sin. That's how it works. Uh, I had a great seminary professor who gave me a, a really helpful illustration of this. He was like, you know, sanctification... The way that it works is over time, you do, you do increase in personal holiness. That's true. But as you're increasing in per personal holiness, you don't necessarily feel like you're increasing, do you? <laughs> you feel more like you're going down. <laughs> you feel like the more that you learn about what the requirements are, the more you realize how bad you really are. So while you, you might be getting better, you might be reading your Bible more, you might be faithfully following the Lord in more of his ways, you might start tithing for the first time, you might do all of these things and trust the Lord with them, but all the while, you feel like you read a new passage, you're like, we're supposed to do that? <laughs> 
That too? I don't, I don't have that one. And he said to me, he said, listen, here's the deal. As you feel that decrease, what's really going on is you're realizing the goodness of Jesus and how much you need him. See, the, the law of God, God's commands perpetually again and again and again drive us to repentance, yes, to confession, yes, but they drive us to Jesus. If you confess your sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How does he cleanse you? Because Jesus died for your sins, you see? So as we are pressed into this light, as we press more and more into Jesus, don't reel back, because that's going to be your temptation. Some of y'all know this already. That's going to be, oh, gosh, that too? Oh, I'm bad at that. Oh, no, he's talking about my sin again. I know. Welcome to the club, okay? This is it. The Lord, as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And what do you think it's like to draw near to a perfectly holy God? You realize your imperfections again and again and again. And he continues to shine his good light on your sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are a folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's the natural person. But the person who's remade, the person who's, who's, who's been transformed into, into God's, he has a new discernment. The natural person can't discern these things, but the, 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 the person who's made new through Jesus can. He's transformed. John chapter 14, verse 17. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you do know him, for he abides with you and will be in you. So you're given a new discernment as a follower of Jesus, right? Right? You get convicted of your sin, don't you? The closer you get to Jesus, the more that he convicts you of your sin. Good gifts. The closer you follow the Lord, the more that he convicts you of your sin. And you have a new relationship with him, for he abides with you and will be in you. And that's all a part of his great and good gifts. But you see, what happens before you get there? is the second beatitude. Did you see it? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is not some ambiguous universal definition of mourning. Blessed are the people who are sad because one day they won't be sad anymore. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking specifically in the context of our weeping over our sin. You see, as you are drawn closer to Christ, as you submit your life more and more to him, his light shines on you, and more and more of your sin is revealed. As you, as you read and study his word, as you, as you worship him, as you grow in relationship with him, his light continues to shine on you, and more and more of your sin is revealed again and again, and it brings you to mourning, right? Right? This realization of your sin will start to actually bring, bring tears to your eyes. You know that that sin comes between you and Jesus, and the white, hot light of the conviction of the Holy Spirit shines right on it, and you mourn over your sin. And Jesus says, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted.
if you are mourning over your sin, the promise of this beatitude is that you will be comforted. If you, if you see yourself and your broken life and the mistakes that you've made and, oh, Lord, what have I done? If that's you, then there is comfort. In other words, there is happiness. Happy are those who mourn. Isn't that just upside down? Isn't that just, that just sounds crazy when we say it out loud that way. But that's what this promise is. Happy are those who mourn over their sin because they will be comforted. You know what's really interesting? If you, uh, for those of you that are, that are word study nerds, um, look that up whenever you get a chance. You have blue letter Bible's free. It's on the internet. If you've got some Greek word study tools, you can pull them up, you know, all kinds of fun things. But, it, but if you look up that word right there for comforted, it's actually the word paraclete. Do you know what else the word paraclete refers to throughout the scriptures? It refers to the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It means, it means more literally to, to come alongside of them, meaning that, that when you mourn, listen to me, this is important, okay? That when you mourn and are broken and are convicted over your sin, that the Holy Spirit is right there. Jesus is, is right there. See, Jesus went away, he said, so that the Holy Spirit can come and can convict you of your sin and can comfort you. That's what he's talking about. God is present with you in the times with you, when you are mourning and broken over your sin, and he is there to comfort you in that mourning, which does what? Which changes your disposition. What, what does a person comforting do? Their, their, their goal, what they're trying to do is, is, is take, take some of the pain away, right? And, and sometimes... Uh, one of the things that I learned early on, whenever somebody's in real serious, deep mourning, it's almost like the more that you say, the less you're helping. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? If somebody's in real serious, deep mourning, um, maybe they, they just lost their spouse or they just lost their children or something like that, like real serious, deep, serious, heavy mourning, it's almost like just being next to them is the comfort, being with them, being present with them in their time of, of suffering and of pain. Because what happens whenever you open your mouth? Well, you're not a perfect person, then you're going to stick your foot in it real well, right? Like, you, 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 it's going to happen. But see, the promise that we have in the Scriptures is that paraclete, that the Holy Spirit, the coming alongside, comforts us, yes, by presence, that's true, but also has the perfect words of Scripture to administer to us. It's we, the Holy Spirit can't put its foot in its mouth, in other words. It has exactly what we need to hear prepared for us by God, and if we believe and trust and repent and follow the Lord, then we are forgiven and cleansed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So let's just paint this picture with broad brushes here. The more that you press in in your relationship to the Lord, the more that you read your word and, and worship with his people and follow his commands and, and labor to be with him, the more that you do that, the more that you walk in the light, the more that you will see and the more that you will you'll mourn over what you see. Right? Because, because we are sinners. There's, there's none righteous, no, not one. And you will mourn over what you see, and you will be broken over what you see. And the more that you mourn over it, the more that you are comforted, and therefore the more that you are happy. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. 
as you are receiving conviction of your sin from the Lord by the power of his word, don't despair. See, the worst mistake that we make is when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, we run away from it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's our, that's, our, that's our gut reaction. Whenever we feel convicted over sin, we say things like, well, I didn't do that. No, 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 no. You misunderstood what happened. I didn't say, I didn't say that, or I, I didn't do that, or that wasn't my real motivation. What was really, we start making excuses, don't we? And we quickly try to distance ourselves from, from our sin and from our actions. We quickly try, to excuse, quickly try to excuse ourselves away from it. But the Lord says, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, Confess your sin, and you will be comforted and restored. In other words, don't run away from the conviction. Don't wince, don't flinch, don't, don't pull back. You see, if he, he gives you the gift of conviction by the power of his Holy Spirit, and the morning comes, and you see who you are in the light of day, you're blessed. So trust him. What does the Bible say that the Lord does for those that he loves? He disciplines those whom he loves. And if he loves you enough to discipline you, to show you your sin, then we as God's people get to be what? Happy. Because we are his. The more that we are pressing into this light, the more light shines on our sin. The more we see about who we are, we mourn over what we see. And the more we are comforted, because that's how the Lord works. Now, let's get specific, though. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 15. You can read along with me if you'd like to, or, or you can just listen as I read through this. But we're going to get more specific about how Jesus comforts his people. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. You have received the spirit of adoption of, as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In other words, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that comforter who comes alongside you, who also convicts you of sin, that's one of the clear roles of the, of the Holy Spirit by the scriptures. We're instructed that pretty clearly, but also as the comfort. But one of the things that he does is he continuously speaks into your heart for the people of God, my son in whom I am well pleased, my son in whom I delight. And your heart hears it. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. That's what it's talking about. And he convinces you again and again that his love for you is greater than your brokenness. You see, if your response to every time you, you sin or someone confronts you about your sin or the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, if your response is to put your dukes up and blame it on someone else or shift the blame away from you or try to, try to get away from it and back up and instead say, ah, yes, I am a sinner, but I serve a great God who sent his son to die for me. And through his death, God looks at me and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If if you can't get there, you'll only ever be sad. You'll only ever be defensive. You'll only ever be filled with anxiety. But if the Holy Spirit is working in you, you can trust that his conviction is built to bring you comfort. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. It's one thing to be loved. When you think that you're perfect, right? 
Let's think, let's think about that for a second. Yes, I am loved because I am lovely. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, uh, yes, I am loved because I am pretty dead gum awesome, right? That's, that's, you've earned that love. Yes, I am loved because I'm kind of a big deal because people know me because I've got a reputation around these parts. Yes, I am loved by all because of how awesome I really am. Do you get it? That's ridiculous. But, but this is how many of us think our relationship with the Lord works. Yes, the Lord loves me. Have you met me? I've met me, and I'm pretty great. That's stupid. The Lord doesn't love you because he thinks you're pretty great. The Lord loves you because he loves you. Because he chose you before the foundations of the earth to love, to put his love on you. And he chose before the foundations of the earth to send Jesus to die for you. The Lord loves you not because you deserve it. And if we can get that into our brains, then we'll get a good understanding as how this grace actually works. We're not loved because we're great. No, we're loved because he loves. We love because he first loved us. Do you get it? He, he put his love on us first, not because we deserved it, but because he simply wanted to, because he simply loved. Because here's the deal. If you think that you're being loved by God is dependent on how good you are, then when your failures come up, what do you do? You, you, no, 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 that's not me. I didn't do that. No, 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 that wasn't me. Or whenever you're busted, like for real busted, you just fall into this great depression. Oh, gosh, I did it. I'm a terrible person. I will never get through. See, that's not, that's not real mourning. Real mourning is, yes, this is my sin. And I am as wicked as that sin makes me out to be, but I serve a great God who died for all of my sins and I can trust him. Blessed are those who mourn. Do you see, that's how it plays out. You trust in the Lord. Now, there's a lot of ways that, that this could mess up, though. And one of those is if we disconnect that poverty of spirit from that uh, conviction of sin mourning, okay? If, if we disconnect those two pieces, there's a, there's a lot of issues that we're going to have together. It, it, you, you aren't actually on a path of happier those who mourn unless you've understood that the only place that you can go is to Jesus because you are so broken. Do you get what I'm saying? You have to, there's a reason that these things are listed in this particular order. If you, if you think that you can fix your own problems, then your mourning will result in tremendous amount of anxiety and you trying to fix your own problems because you can't do it. You need the Holy Spirit to, you see? And so what winds up happening is if you, if you disconnect those two pieces, you run into tons and tons of issues. And I'm, I'm going to go through a couple of them really, really quickly. Um, the first one would be judgmentalism, which is we mourn over sin, but it's mostly those guys sin to get rid of, man, there's so much wrong with our world today. If these people would just insert statement here, whatever that might be, you mourn over sin, but it's more like sin out there rather than sin here because you haven't, you haven't passed through that poverty of spirit. You think you're pretty good. You know what I'm saying? You look at yourself and you're like, you know what? I'm all right today. I'm doing pretty good. It's, if those people out there would get their stuff together, then the whole world would be a better place. You see, that's that judgmentalism because you didn't pass first through the poverty of spirit. And you went into the morning and you were like, yes, the world is broken. Those people, God, Jesus. You see, that was the, wasn't that a very clear parable? Man, thank you that I'm not like those people. He didn't have any introspection on who he actually was. Now, 
I want to say this. Um, We are social beings. God engineered us that way. Um, Okay? And we exist in community. And so mourning over others' sin is, is a normal practice that a Christian should do. Like, we are covenantal people. And so if sin takes up residence inside of our church, we, we mourn over that, right? And if sin takes up residence in our families, we mourn over that. We confess it as a family. We repent of it together. And if sin takes up residence in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, whatever, we mourn over that. We confess it together. But the trick to that is you have to do that the way that Jesus told us to do it, which is you deal with the what? Well, not the speck in yours, but the log. That's right. Yes, yes. You deal with the log in your eye first before you deal with the speck in theirs. Why? Now, notice, okay, so when we're talking about that passage, I think we talked about this on Sunday school last week, but let's just ramp in one more time real hard. When the Bible says, take the log out of your eye before you worry about the speck in somebody else's, that is not a hyperbolic statement in which it's saying you should never deal with other people's sin because the Bible has clear instructions about how we are to confront and love our brothers and sisters in the Lord about their sin and confront the world around us with regards to their sin. The Bible gives us clear instructions in those things. So it's not a hyperbolic statement. It's not a, it's not a maybe statement on, well, then maybe we should just not deal with other people's sin because we all got problems. That's not what it says. It says, take the log out, then go. What does that mean? It means take it out right? The point is, this is your problem. Deal with your problem, then go deal with theirs. Do you understand? Repent, confess of your sin, then go deal with theirs. The log in your eye is a hyperbolic statement about how obvious your own sin should be to yourself, okay? And how this little tiny speck over there is is really the thing that gets underneath your skin sometimes. But we must We mourn over our sin, we repent, and we pull the logs out of our own eyes. Then we deal with the world around us. We don't become the judgmental people who did not pass through the poverty of spirit gate and instead decided to say, no, 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 the problem's out there with with them. If these people would get their life, life together, the whole world would be better. No, brothers and sisters, listen to me very closely. Until we are walking in covenantal faithfulness in our families, in our households, in our church, before the eyes of the world, they will not have an accurate representation of Jesus, and they will care little about following him. Very little. Your witness to the world starts with you. Okay? It starts with you. And the thing about judgmental people, I don't know, I know that many of you only you know, you've never dealt with a judgmental person before. But if you ever have dealt with one, which I know very probably few of you have, have you ever noticed that they're not like happy people? You know what I'm talking about? Judgmental folks, they're not, they're not, they're, they're nitpickers. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're, and they're a little angry and a little angsty and a little, like they're, And that's not a good witness to the world. Judgmental people don't make happy communities and good witnesses to the world. So so we got to be careful to see our sin, to deal with our sin, to mourn over our sin, and to mourn for the sin of the world that is around us. Amen? Okay, so pass through the poverty of spirit and don't be judgmental. All right, the other thing that we run to is if we don't pass through the poverty of spirit is we, we talked about this a little bit already. The, the self-loathing. Oh, I did it again. Because you, all the pressure's on you, 
right? You think, if I could have just done this right, I would have been okay. If, if, if Judas would have had gospel mourning, he wouldn't have killed himself. Do you get it? There, the, the Bible makes a distinction. There's the, there's the worldly grief that leads to what? The worldly grief that leads to death. And there's the godly grief that leads to what? Repentance, right? The, the difference between those two is one sees that they have to go. They, they are, they're poor in spirit, and so they have to go to Jesus. They have to. The other doesn't. That's the difference between those two. Judas had which one? Worldly grief. He didn't, he didn't understand that he had to. We see Judas and we see Peter in contrast to each other. Do you recognize that? We, we see Judas who, who did not repent, who, who just tried to fix his problems himself. Do you remember that? What did Judas do after he saw what was going on? He was like, oh, no, I don't want to have any part of this. Here, guys, you take the money back. I don't, I don't want to do this. He tries, to, he tries to do some type of restitution, but he's not actually going to who can actually forgive him. He's not going to Jesus, Okay. And he, he hands them the money, and they're like, no, we don't want that money. That's blood money, which is crazy because they're the one that's paid it, but whatever. And then he throws the money away. Or no, no, he goes and, yeah, he throws the money into the temple. He goes off, and he kills himself after the fact. But what did Peter do? Peter sees Jesus on the, boat, on the shore from the boat. He realizes it's Jesus, and he does what? He runs. Well, swims, but swims fast, Right? because he knows where he has to go. See, that's the difference between the two. Don't be like Judas. Be like Peter. That self-pity, that self-loathing, oh, I did it again. Oh, it was me. Oh, that's not a biblical mindset. That's not what the Lord would have you to do. When you feel as though everything is your fault and you're just dumb, it's because you're not really trusting in the Lord. You're still trusting in yourself. You still think you can fix it. That self-loathing, that self-pity, it's because you didn't pass through the poverty of spirit. You don't really trust Jesus all the way yet. You need to repent, confess that as sin, and move forward. There's a lot of other things. One of them is lawlessness. If you, if you only are, are mourning over your sin, then eventually you get this weird spot, and you're not running to Jesus with your sin. You're like, well, I just go to church on Sunday, and yeah, I'm a sinner, but you know, that's what, that's what we're here for. We're all sinners together, and you, be, you become this antinomian rebellion against the law of God. You, you, you have this general disposition, this general operation that, that your sins don't really matter. Everybody sins, you know, but God's just going to forgive all of us anyway. No, there's a very specific process for the Lord's forgiveness. If you, what? Confess your sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't just exist in this ethereal, magical, I disregard God's law all the time, I don't care what his commands are, but you know, God's going to forgive us all anyway. No, hold on, brother. The Bible makes it clear that you must run to Jesus. God is gracious. And sometimes God doesn't discipline every single sin that we deal with. But listen, if you are hard-hearted to God's commands, then you're going to run into the exact same problem that the self-pity person is going to run into, that the judgmental person is going to run into, because you're not going to Jesus to receive grace and forgiveness. You're just going to this weird, ethereal, hyper-spiritual, religious experience where you disregard the Bible. And that's not going to end well for you. If you confess your sins, if you confess your sins, he who is faithful and just will what? Forgive you. That's it which means who do you go to? Jesus, again 
and again and again and again. We give this illustration all the time. If you walk into somebody's home and their house is clean and put together, it might mean that they spent 30 minutes cleaning the house before you showed up. That's possible, okay? But most of the time, a person who just has a clean house, they have a clean house, and they live in a clean house because everybody over time has learned to just pick up behind themselves as they go, right? I would love one day for us to operate in a church where we just kind of pop into each other's houses unannounced. Wouldn't that be wonderful, right? I just said that, and several of your anxiety just went through the roof, you know? Like, but that's, it's going to be okay. But wouldn't that be lovely one day? Because then we would also get an opportunity to kind of know a little bit more about, like, how everybody's doing. <laughs> the, the unannounced pop-in, that's the one where you really get dialed into how somebody's life is going, right? Right? Hey, I'm here! That used to be normal. I remember growing up, and that was just normal. Hey, the, the odds dropped by before the day of cell phones. I verified this on my schedule. I have you on my calendar for Tuesday at 3.30 p.m. I will be there with this. That's a little weird. Back in the day, like, people just showed up. They just popped up to your house. The unannounced pop-in. And everybody had a real good beat on how everybody was doing via the unannounced pop-in. It, it was a good thing. You'd get an idea of whose house is relatively clean all the time and whose house is filled with two-year-olds, right? Like, you, <laughs> you'd know that real fast. But see, a clean person's house is clean because they perpetually are picking it up. The same thing is true about the confession of sin. A person who's dealing with their sin is always dealing with it. They're confessing it perpetually. Well, Lord, I did it again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And if you confess your sin, he who is faithful and just will cleanse you will forgive your sin, and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, which means if you really want to win that fight against your sin, that pet sin that's been killing you for the last 40 years, you confess it every time. Every time. And you confess it out loud. Did he say out loud? Yes, I did. You confess it out loud to the Lord and out loud to anyone to whom you've sinned against, and maybe somebody else. Maybe your pastor, maybe one of your elders, maybe a friend in the church, I don't know. But you confess. And then what does the Lord do? He cleanses you from what? Some of your unrighteousness. No, from all of your unrighteousness. If you want to be sanctified, if you want to be made more holy in Jesus, you got to pick up the little messes behind you as you live your life, perpetually. You want to live in a clean house? You pick up behind yourself. You want to live a righteous life in the Lord? You confess your sin again and again and again. Otherwise, you run the risk of eventually just ignoring the law of God altogether and becoming one of these antinomian, lawless, easy believism kind of Christian people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And that's it. <laughs> I go to church maybe, I don't know, two Sundays out of the month, or, and then we make it through from there. That's not what we want to be. I got a few more for you, and then we're going to wrap this bad boy up. The next one would be, this one I bet you know already. If you don't pass through the gate, right, the gate of Jesus Christ, the gate of poverty of spirit, where you only run to Jesus, if you don't pass through that gate, What's one of the things that you are likely to do? Well, let me ask it in this way. Whenever God confronted Adam with his sin, what did Adam do? Bad woman, right? It's not my fault. That one is that one's fault. That woman you gave me. And then God was like, okay, I'll play your game. And he went to the woman, and what happened then? Lady, where, where, what you did with this fruit? And the woman did what? That snake, that dragon, that serpent, that thing, that one got me. It's that thing's fault. 
which really actually was an indication that it was Adam's fault, but we won't get into all that right now because we don't have enough time. That blame shifting happens because what are you trying to do? You're trying to run away from the conviction of that sin, right? You're trying to run away from the hot white light of Jesus through, by the power of his Holy Spirit shining on you. You're trying to get away from it because you don't believe that you're forgiven and can be forgiven in Christ. You just push your sin away. No, no, it's not me. That's not me. That's not me. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. You see? I've sinned, because it's their fault. <laughs> That's what Saul's saying. I sinned, because those people, those people you gave me. It's the same thing. We do that all the time. Lord, I sinned, but really, I mean... I was just watching TV, and then that stuff popped up on the TV. It's not really my fault. Lord, I sinned. I mean, I don't, I don't know why uh, I wasn't able to pay my, my bills this month, but, you know, suddenly the budget was just zero. I, it's not my fault. It's the bank. See, that's, that's blame shifting. Don't do that. Those are the things that could happen. You could, you could be dealing with somebody who's just bitter over their consequences that they're receiving for their sin. See, remember whenever Cain killed his brother? Okay? So Cain killed his brother, and then he receives consequences from God. He receives a judgment from God. Do you remember one of the things that Cain said about his judgment? Do you remember what he said? He goes, what? God, it's too great for me to bear. Are you serious? You just killed your brother, and you're whining about the judgment that God has given you, and you're still alive? See, his, his mourning wasn't actually over his sin. It was over the consequences of his sin. You know what I'm talking about? Now, this is, this is something that whenever you have little kids, you have to kind of train them in along the way. Because if you've got little, little kids, and, and you, you deal with them, you discipline them over their sin, often they're going to be sad. But why are they going to be sad? Because they got disciplined right? That's little, little kids. And you have to train them over time. No, 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 no. Now, listen, you're just sad because you got in trouble. That's not what you should be sad about. You should be sad over what you've done that's a violation of God's law. But now, repent and be restored to the family and to fellowship and all those good things. You see what I'm saying? You got you to bring them along in a very particular way. You got to train them as they get older. Not just to, you're not just sad because you got busted, what the sad part is the sin. The Bible actually says that the discipline is what's going to restore you to life and joy and to fellowship with God and with his people. But the, the sin is sad. Do you, you all following with me here? You got to train that into your kids. You got to help them see that from a, from a young age that they can grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord and grow well. There's also all kinds of other things. Sometimes you can, you can mourn over sin that's not really about sin. You're just having this ethereal, like, um, mysterious, mystical kind of mourning. Yes, I'm just sad because the world is a sad place. You should watch out for those things. And then you should also know that there's this uh, other little bugger that can catch you sometimes, regret, okay? I have, I have so many regrets in my life. You see, that's not mourning, okay? You mourn over your sin. You're driven to Jesus. You confess your sin. He forgives you your sin, and you move on. You don't just sit in it, okay? Because what does the Bible promise to all God's people? Romans 8, 28, all things work together for what? For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. So you say, I've confessed my sin, I've moved on from there, and somehow God's going to use this for good. Amen. Let's roll.
You don't just sit there and be like, God, I screwed my whole life up. You didn't. Paul killed people, okay? Paul had people locked away for the rest of their lives. Paul arrested them, had them executed. Paul did terrible, terrible things. And then he became a gospel witness, and he flipped everything upside down, and he was a fierce gospel witness that led so many in the world to faith. You would probably not be here if it was not for Paul, okay? So stop just sitting there in the, I just got so many regrets. If I had only gotten my, I don't know, teen years right. If only I had gotten my 20. Some of y'all came to faith in Jesus very late in your life. And the Lord is going to do a good thing with that. He, He has not messed up your story. Listen to me very carefully. The Lord has not messed up your story. Okay? He is intentionally working it for your good and his glory. You got some sin in your life? Got it. Who doesn't? Confess, repent, and trust the Lord. Confess all of it to him. And he promises to use it for your good and his glory. Don't run away from the conviction of your sin. Lean into it and trust him for it because he's going to use it for good. We, we too long have decided to never allow ourselves to be disciplined and we wonder why we're so filled with anxiety and depression and fear and, and self-pity and self-loathing. I can tell you why. It's because we don't confess our sin. It's because we run to ourselves to solve our problems. It's because we run to the world to solve our problems. Listen, just because you now claim to follow Jesus, just because you now believe in him, does not mean that you're done. Do you hear me? Running to Jesus is the first step, but confessing all of your sin all of the time, every time it comes up, every time you sin, that's the next next step. Pick the house up. Do you get me? Clean up behind yourself. Trust the Lord and run from self-pity and self-loathing. Run to Jesus. Run from that, oh, I just have so many regrets, and run to Jesus and trust that he's going to do something good and phenomenal with it because that's what he promises. You want to be happy in your life? Yeah, all of us do. This is it. This is it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is it. If the Lord convicts you of your sin, when the Lord convicts you of your sin, confess with joy and be comforted by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of his Holy Spirit, and trust his good works. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Are y'all listening? Listen. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Psalm chapter 32, verses three through five. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer but I acknowledged my sin to you. 
and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you confess your sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's pray.